This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. To learn more, visit patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm a Gryffindor. And I'm a Ravenclaw. And this week, we discuss Chris Columbus's 2002 film, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Okay, and we're back with another Harry Potter film, this time Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, it feels very similar. Same director, so I guess that's to be expected. Yeah, some notable differences, but I think it'll be it'll be cool to to figure out what's different and and like what is this setting up. So before we get started, I have a very important question for you. What exactly is the function of a rubber duck? <laughs> that's a good question, honestly. <laughs> what is it? Just like a? It's got to be just a toy, right? <laughs> Do you know a function that it it's serves? a bath? It's a bath time toy served to I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of those weird human things, I guess. Muggles. Yeah, weird. weird muggle things, I should say. So yeah, before we really get into it, we did want to remind everybody that next week we're going to have our last looks episode, which is kind of just like a retrospective. We're going to talk about our past projects from this year. We're going to get some questions from the audience, from you guys. So go ahead and send those in if you can, inktofilm at gmail.com. Uh, I mean, I'm really looking forward to doing this. Yeah, I mean, I was I was looking at it, and last year we were covering 19 episodes um, at the you know when we did our last looks. This year we have 50 <laughs> we've done, so quite a bit more content we've produced this year. Um, so I'm excited to look back at it, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some interesting stats, and maybe I'll post some on social media, bring some up with you on the show. Um, it should be exciting. It's a good, like, you know, kind of low-key end-of-the-year one where we, we kind of relax and just just kind of look back and, and, and talk about things, you know, and react to things that we've done this year. So I'm excited for it. It's, it's a fun way to, to, to cap off our our 2018 coverage. We hope you join us. Well, here we are at Chamber of Secrets. Um, yeah. We talked about it a lot, obviously, in our last episode. It was our book episode. Uh, there's a lot of sim- similarities here. And I think the film does a lot to separate itself from the first one while still kind of being in the same vein. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. As soon as you told me that Columbus directed Home Alone, I can't stop seeing Home Alone in this in these movies. Um, it's very similar in a lot of ways. I mean, we got we got. I mean, the start. You know, early on in the movie, we got a floating cake dropping on a woman's head. Like it's very kind of slapstick at times. You know, played for these kind of like silly laughs, and it's very child friendly. Um, I remember when this movie came out. I think I saw it in the theater the year it came out, so 2002, which means I would have been about 16. Um, so I remember going like, why am I seeing this movie? <laughs> like I was, I was that at that age, I was so just like, I mean, I was listening to Slipknot and I was in a heavy metal band and Metallica and all these different things. And I'm going to see this kid's movie and I'm like, this is, this is not for me. Um, so it, it took me a little while, you know? I mean, the, the, did you stick around to the end? Oh no, I watched the whole yeah. thing for sure. The end's pretty metal, 
right? Yeah, I know. And and actually, I, one of my observations is when that basilisk is coming out of the mouth of that statue thing, it looks like the cover for like a like a black like black metal album or something. It's yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah. So I mean, it has its moments, I, definitely. Um, and honestly, that that last confrontation feels almost like a different movie in, in some ways. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, I do think this is my least favorite of the films. I I talked last week about how I actually prefer this book to Sorcerer's Stone, but when it comes down to the movies, um, this one just takes a slight, like, second place to me as far as, like, my least favorite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if it's a weird way to say it. Um, because my other, you know, I mean, the first movie is, is is also my like next least favorite. So, but this this is the one I think I like the least. But yeah, I still enjoyed it. I still it's enjoyed it. it's interesting because um, I disagree with you because I I think that this is a better movie than the first one. But I have so much nostalgia for the first one that it's right. so hard to to place these two. But I think that I do have Chamber of Secrets slightly, very very slightly edging out Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Um, just because it it was able to do. It was able to capitalize on the setting up that the first one did. We knew the characters, we knew the world, we knew all that stuff, and then just like kind of spinning it on its head and doing very yeah. similar things as we talked about. But also, I feel like there was like a there was a real vision here. I mean, there's a vision in the first one, but like there's something very specific that Columbus wanted to do with like maturing the the story a little bit, not like Quran mm-hmm. did with the third film, but like just maturing it within his own kind of premise of what he wanted it to be. And and I think that kind of leads us into Columbus unless you had uh, some other general thoughts. Well, I mean, I just, I, I, I agree with you and I see what you're saying. Um, I just, I think for me it was the, it didn't do enough to differentiate itself from the first movie. Um, we talked about how the plot felt kind of samey last, last week. Um, and then the fact that stylistically um, it, it was very samey as well. Um, I think just compounded that for me. Like it was, it 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 felt like it was sort of artistically spinning its wheels. Like I really wanted. Like I, I mean, we see that in the next film. I, and we're not to it yet, but I know it took a big leap and it, it did something different. Um, and and I think that was smart to to do that. I don't know if it was a limitation with the director or, or his vision of it or what. But to me, this just felt like a you know just another of the same movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question it, for yeah. you then though. Is it is it because the story felt so samey that you felt like the direction and, and the filmmaking was the same as well? I really think that like a lot of the way these scenes are shot, a lot of the way that like the humor plays, how the action is, the, kind of the slapstick nature of it. There's a lot of silly reactions from the kids that we get that are like, that's the focal point of a lot of these scenes. I definitely agree with the the... The comedy element is very similar, yeah. but and it, yeah, it feels very similar. The but I feel like from a you're talking about like the shots and some of the ways that they that they actually made the film, I felt like was was slightly different and and matured okay. the film a little bit. So, um, for example, like uh, the you know that that like classic Hogwarts glow that like warm. Uh, little slightly oversaturated look when they're in like the Great Hall and stuff. Sure, yeah. That was like a lot of the first film. Almost all of the first film was like that that warm glow, inviting. Every it's like a scary adventure a little bit when they get off into the dark forest or like into the, you know, down the trapdoor. But this film was was interesting because it felt like the mystery as the mystery was getting further and further along, they got further away from that glowing. They it was like less saturated, more darks, a lot less light to light the to light the scenes. 
and I was watching a um, watching a behind the scenes thing that Columbus was talking about. He was he was talking to his to his cinematographer about what he wanted to achieve with this film and in what he wanted to do differently. And and he had this great idea where the the major threat is like this basilisk, right? And he's like it's mm-hmm. it's sneaking around. Hogwarts it's slithering around in the pipes and everything and so he talked to a cinematographer and was like I want I want the camera movements in this film to feel like that so there's a lot of like uh steady cam of like like serpentine like following along through the halls and like and something that I that I noticed but didn't actually really think about that decision being made until I heard that interview so just I, I think the the dark the darker elements and then and then the other thing is the action we talked about in the first one the action of the first one is really just Quidditch and then Harry shows up to fight Voldemort and just talks to him for a little while and then yeah. this one kind of kind of takes it to like a I think there's a conflict here at the end where it's like clearly there's a battle and something that needs to be overcome whereas the first one just kind of felt like okay we got here and now it's over. No, I mean, I agree with that. And, and like I said, that, that final scene especially almost feels like a different movie. So, you know, props to him for, for making that stand out and feel different. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's more of a gut reaction thing, man. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it other than I just feel like I, I don't know, maybe something about the, the way the flying car played to me. I don't know. There's just a few things about it that just that felt like it it was just a little bit goofy at times in a way that the the first one I forgave for similar things. Yeah, no, I totally see that. The um I think just as as uh it feels so similar at first and then I think it starts to separate itself as it goes on, but but I mean ultimately it's not that different. You know what I mean? It's not the difference yeah. that Quran brings to the to the third film or anything like that. Right, right. But, yeah, no. Uh but I do think it's interesting to look at how these two are different because like we said in the book episode they Clearly, these two lay the structure and the foundation for everything else that's going to come. Yeah, and the third movie wouldn't feel. I, I I would think it wouldn't feel quite so different if we didn't have two films like this. You know, like right. it it really does. Like you said, it establishes that foundation that the rest of the movies can then can then subvert and change and grow grow yeah. from. And it's not like the the later movies don't have. It's like they have those scenes of warmth, those that Hogwarts sure. blow that I was talking about. But it's just yeah. like how much of it is there in comparison to these other ones. And I think mm-hmm. that like what you're talking about, the goofiness kind of gets pulled out as it gets more serious. Obviously, there's moments of levity and stuff. It's just it's a different kind of humor later, you know, like a little bit more mature humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in our Sorcerer's Stone coverage, we talked about Columbus, and this is his last film that he's gonna that he will make in the franchise. So I think it's it's cool to look at what he was able to set up. Something that really stands out to me that I wanted to talk about in this film, in addition to the darker tones and things that he wanted to bring in, was the the practical and CG, and there was definitely practical in the original film. Yeah. We had a lot of creatures here um, yeah. that and and I think the work at this time in 2002 was at the absolute peak of visual effects. Like there, it's still to me, there's there's like you can tell when it's practical and when it's CG, but the CG, none of it looks bad to me. Mm. All of the fair, like the, the corners. I think at, at times the, at times the car is one that I can really see that, stands yeah. out to me. Yeah. Maybe because it's such a familiar object. Well, and I bet you it's also because it's in the daylight. Yes. So yeah, you're like, right because it's, it's shot in broad daylight. Yeah. Yeah. But like everything, like like you like when they switched from the basilisk, like practical to CG or like fox. Yeah. Or no, no. The, and the, the practical effects on the basilisk were were amazing. Whenever I would realize, I'm like, that's a real head they made that looked really incredible. Right. Yeah, I was impressed. So I think that that's just something really important to think about. And also while talking about the the CG and the practical elements, the 
I have to again shout out the production design here because I think that the production design is is like fifty percent of this film. These all this yeah. entire series actually, like you can the the Chamber of Secrets set is insane. It's just like somebody built that. Dumbledore's office is absolutely like exactly what I would have thought it was. Just overall, I think that like they're able to capture this world so well because of the production design and just the mm-hmm. realism that they bring. And then I think even with some some of the child actors, you can see that they're younger actors some of the time. You forgive that because of because of the world that they're in and everything. And I think part of that's the direction too, though. Um, if you think about Home Alone. Like what's what's some iconic scenes of Home Alone, right? Like you you think Kevin McAllister slapping his hands to his face and and, and screaming or like yelling or whatever, and like that kind of over the top thing, right? Like and he's just reacting to aftershave, I think, in the movie. I can't remember. Yeah, I think so. Um, so there's a couple of scenes like that where it's like um, it's kind of like a a child's reaction is kind of like turned up really high and it's it's played for laughs. And there's a few moments where we get where I felt like that was a direction. It was like he was telling Ron, make as goofy a face as you can possibly make in this moment. <laughs> like, no, no, goofier. No, go goofier. Yeah. <laughs> like, and Ron and like they were like they really love to pick those those uh, lines that he delivered when his voice would crack. And he seemed like really distressed and stuff like they were yeah. definitely going for him. to. Be I mean, like, and some of them are funny. Like there's a, I mean, it's funny. And but it's like. Is it funny or is it good? I don't know if it's both. Um, but there's that scene in the car when he turns to Harry. Um, Harry turns to him, like, kind of shot, like, uh-oh, something's coming. And then you, we, we get this reaction shot from Ron. And, like, it is, it's like a, <laughs> such a gifable moment because his face is just classic. Um, yeah. I don't know what what is going on with his face, but it's amazing. Yeah, he has he emotes. He killed it in this in this movie. As far as those like crazy faces yeah. are concerned, like anything, yeah. anything when the spider stuff was being brought up, like he was yeah. he was way over the top. It was awesome. He was so like blah, 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 blah. like he would, I don't know he just sounded like that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> why do they have to be spiders? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I I feel like I'm I'm being mean, but like I like I honestly I enjoy it. It was it was funny. Um, it's just not. It's just like this movie is hitting on different different things than we get well, it's later. Just, yeah, you can't help but compare it to what comes later. And it's just like yeah, when yeah. you do that, it just feels like so different. And it definitely yeah. feels more more geared towards kids. Before we leave that, I mean, I know we're not really to it, but that, that car scene, we're going to hop around a little bit, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also right after that a reaction shot of Hedwig. And his eyes widen. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a funny story. It's like so silly, right? Yeah. Like we see an owl whose eyes go and like widen like digitally because you know, that doesn't happen with owls. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, there's it's just a couple of things like that. I think that really like highlighted that this was a movie. It's it's like a, of a similar tone to like a Home Alone, right? It is played for fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you're not supposed to take anything too seriously, clearly. Right. Until you are later. Until you are at the end when all of a sudden it's kind of a different movie. So, yeah, I mean, I do agree with that. Um, but even that, I have some issues with that scene and how it plays out in the movie. Maybe it should. I should have had the issues in the book, too. But if for whatever reason, they stood out more in the movie. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to them. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these new. First of all, shout out to the entire cast again, especially yeah. the adults again. Killed it. Um, Alan Rickman specifically. Oh, yeah. I really and, liked him oh, in this. Yeah. Alan Rickman. Richard Harris, and unfortunately, this would be the last time we see Richard Harris as Dumbledore. Yeah, R.I.P. Robbie Coltrane, who plays Hagrid. I did, something that I feel like gets forgotten in later movies is how Hagrid is like the 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 heart and soul of the of these movies. Like as far as like the older cast is concerned, like he really is. And I think 
the ending scene in this movie definitely plays that up to good effect. But yeah, shout out to all of them. And then the new actors that I feel like we definitely have to talk about. Gilderoy Lockhart, played by Kenneth Branagh. Mm. Now, do you do you recognize him from anything that you've seen? Uh, you know what? He looks familiar, so yeah. I, I'm sure there's something, but I, I can't put my finger on it. So, I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff, and he's like, again, all, everybody who's in these movies are basically British royalty, but he mm-hmm. uh, recently, fairly recently, he was one of the like commanding officers on the beaches in Dunkirk. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. He's the guy who's like standing out on the pier, like yes, yeah, no, yeah. totally, man. That's funny. Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed Dunkirk, and and I totally didn't place him as Gilderoy Lockhart. That's yeah. hilarious. Well, the crazy, another crazy thing that he did, he uh, is a very very well established director, and he directed really? for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He directed the original Thor movie. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize until he directed Thor that he he was a director as well, and yeah. he. Uh, I mean, the movie, say what you will about th- the original Thor, but, like, that was a big ch- chance for the Marvel Cinematic Universe at that point. I preferred it to the second Thor, Thor movie. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. <laughs> but not to the third one. Not to the third one. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's good. It's it's fun. It's like a fun entry-level, like, setup for a, for a superhero. Uh, something that I Was that I will his say, directorial debut, or had he done some other stuff? I think or? he'd done other things, mostly okay. probably more, like, British productions that I just hadn't seen or something. And honestly, he probably directed something else huge that I don't, that I don't know about. <laughs> but he, something very interesting I want to talk about in Thor super quick is, uh-huh. uh, do you know what a Dutch shot is? Oh, it's like that crooked angle? Yes. If you yeah, look yeah. at the amount of crooked like Dutch shots in, in Thor, you're going to be blown away. Like next time you watch, if you ever watch that movie again, yeah. look and for- So is that is that considered a good thing or is that considered like well, he overdid it or- I, I think he overdid it personally, but and I don't know what other people feel about it, but I, it's just like notable to to realize that he was just like constantly doing Dutch shots. And I don't. It's mm-hmm. not a bad thing necessarily. It's just a stylistic choice he wanted it to. So seem what like, what what if I can if I can pick your you know cinematographer brain here a little bit <laughs> if you can put that hat on for a minute. Yeah. Go what is it. the what is the point of doing a shot like that? What sort of what sort of effect does it create? So if somebody says Dutch shot to me, I think of like horror movies. There's a lot of Dutch shots in horror uh, movies. It's like it's, something's askew. It's a, yeah, askew, unsettling. It's meant to yeah. make you feel like, and I think what he was trying to do in Thor was because it takes place on Asgard is that otherworldly feel. It's mm. different. It's something that you don't see a, a ton. Uh, but it was just, and like you do see like there's Dutch shots in this movie in Chamber of Secrets. Like I can yeah, think of a couple. Almost every movie I feel like has, yeah. has some nowadays. Uh, at least. There's, a, there's a couple that I can, de- like I think when Tom Riddle and Harry are, are talking yeah, to each other. Yeah, which is a good example of a, it's like a darker scene, darker moment. So yeah. you put the camera on a little skew. That makes sense. Yeah. Unsettle the audience, make them feel on their back foot or like off foot. But to get back to Chamber of Secrets, I mean, he killed it as Gilderoy Lockhart to get back to. Yeah what he did in this movie and like I, there were other people up for the role but i didn't i was reading through the list and i didn't feel like any i think jude law was up for the role but he was like supposedly oh, too wow. too young for the role he would have killed it i think as lockhart but i mean kenneth branagh like he he kills it and makes yeah. me hate him so much yeah i i, I it's funny because like I, again i'm like nitpicking and i think it's just because i've maybe because i read the book and then saw the movie and and so now i'm starting to play around with characters in my head as like a writer i'm like what could have been different and for me, I kept I kept wondering what this movie would have been like if Lockhart wasn't played as a immediately dislikable character. Yeah. Like, what if when we first met him, we kind of believed his bullshit? And it wasn't until later... The first time we meet him, like, in the bookstore? 
Yeah, I mean, like, it's he's played to be ridiculous in that bookstore. We look at Ron. Ron looks like, who is this fucking guy? Everybody's looking at him. It's only Hermione who's, like, taken with him. And I feel like the audience immediately knows this guy's full of shit. Yeah. Um, or at least greatly suspects it, which is then confirmed, like, in the next scene we get with him. And, and we see him, like, clearly being just kind of like, come up here, Harry Potter, and we're going to get on the front page and all this stuff. I don't know. To me, it's pretty obvious that he's full of shit. You're right. Yeah, it is very obvious. And I, I kept wondering, like, what would this movie have been like if maybe up to the point of the duel, we actually thought this guy was kind of a badass? That would be cool. What and, if he was like, legit badass all the way through? <laughs> well, I mean, I, like, I like the idea of this character being more of, like, a blowhard who has convinced everybody. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do a very good job of convincing us. Like, yeah. why not have him actually convince us, too? I don't know. I mean, it would have been, like, a more nuanced take on a character, which maybe is too too nuanced for a children's movie. I don't know. Um, I just I just wonder, you know what I mean? Like in some alternate universe, what would that movie have been like and how might it have changed that character? Because I do like the I think he's kind of a fascinating guy and who's effectively created the stardom for himself, even though he is not good at anything except for these memory charms. Um, so he's reprehensible. But like I wanted to see more of like what made him a, like kind of this star, you know, like I wanted him to be more convincing to me, the audience member. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, I'm just nitpicking. I mean, like, it is what it is. And, and, and the other way to go is this way where, like, we know the whole time and then you create this, like, dramatic irony of, like, why are, why is everybody looking up at this guy? We can all tell he's he's a he's a farce. Mm-hmm. Um, so you lose some of that if you change it. So I don't know. Just, you know, playing around with characters, like I said, I think because I've, I've, I've spent some time with this story now and I'm starting to <laughs> rearrange things in my mind and wonder how they might have played differently. Yeah. Like you said, I think I think a joke character plays way better for a child audience. Right. I think that's probably more of what it was. But yeah, that would have been cool to see like a more nuanced take. Okay, so the other another one that we have to talk about is Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy. Oh yeah. I actually like that actor too. Like I, I've seen him in other stuff in which I really liked him. Yeah, he's great. Again, uh, all these a people... really short lived T V show that only had like one season or maybe two. I can't remember what the name of it was. But he he had like lived he like lived in two worlds at the same time and he would bounce back and forth between them. Did you, did you ever see this show? I didn't see that show, no. No, he was like the lead character in this in this show, and I remember I watched like the first two seasons, and then it got canceled, and I was bummed because it felt like it was it was a really cool premise. Huh. Okay, so I just looked it up, and I think the show you're talking about is called Awake. I haven't seen it, but yes, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I mean, like I remember enjoying it. It was a while ago, but uh, so I can't really swear by it. I just remember being intrigued. Yeah, I'm looking here on his on his IMDb, and he's done so much too, like. He was in Avatar The Last Airbender as a voice actor. He was in The Patriot. Yes. Well, he was like the main British bad guy in The Patriot. Right. Which that movie, that movie is is pretty bad in retrospect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to watch, a, there's like a History Bus channel on YouTube that dissects like in all the ways in which it is terrible um, about history specifically, but also in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um, that, I, that I do highly recommend. But that's, that's besides the point that I think he actually does a pretty good job in that role. Oh, yeah. And he's also Captain Hook in Peter Pan. In the old Peter, the, not the animated film, but the the live action film, not Hook, either. Peter Pan, he plays Captain Hook. Okay, I must be. I I don't know if I'm thinking of the right one because I'm thinking of Hook. Hook like, is he's not he's Dustin not, Hoffman. Yeah, not that. Dustin. Okay, yeah, yeah. So not that one. A different one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was the Peter Pan from like 2003. Uh, he was he played Hook in that, which is interesting. I, don't know if I saw that one. Oh, so I I got a question for you. When Hermione repairs Harry Potter's glasses. Mm-hmm. She's not in school, so she's technically casting a spell, 
when she's not supposed to be, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, she did it on the train in the first movie too. That's true. So she's she's a rule breaker. Yeah. Well, we get to, we come to see that with the apologies potion and stuff. <laughs> that's true. I mean, but yeah, I mean, and and but I I would feel like some of these other ones, she doesn't have like some really pressing reason to do them. She's just like she just enjoys doing it. I guess casting spells. Yeah. I get the feeling that she's casting spells all the time from that. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because it's like how they couldn't pinpoint down Diagon Alley on that day. Tons of people would be doing magic. Like the ministry wouldn't be able to pin that down. Maybe, are you allowed to maybe do it when you're in a zone like that? Is that like a magic okay zone for students? Or are they still not allowed to do it out of, outside of school grounds? That's the thing. Is like It's like if they were old enough, I think they'd be fine doing magic because it's out of the view of muggles, but they're not old enough. So regardless, I think that that would be definitely frowned upon because they're so young. Mm. So uh, speaking of um, YouTube channels you, a second ago, I, I went ahead and watched all of the uh, the houses, that you, those YouTube <laughs> videos that you, you asked. So there's us. two. I realized they did two. There's like house symbolism, and then they did ones that were like more like um, an exploration. Were you watching the house symbolism ones or the other ones? Well, I watched the ones. On Screen Prism, we should say. Again. Yeah, it's Screen Prism. Well, I watched, all I saw was there was the four houses, and then there was one for Slytherin that was like, it was like in defense of Slytherin. It was basically just like a video about why Slytherin is kind of like, not as bad as everybody kind of yeah. perceives. So you watched the house symbolism ones. Though. I watched all four of those, and then the and then the Slytherin one. Yeah. I, oh, okay. There's actually more then, because there's more like that one. There's um, there's one called like the world the world needs Hufflepuffs. I I think I may have watched that one as well. And then there's one about Ravenclaw too. I forget the like sort of subtitle of it. I don't think I saw Ravenclaw or, or a Gryffindor one of those those type of videos, but all of them were great. I have to say. Yeah. And I think that they gave a really interesting point of view to each house like because I felt I feel like we really try to simplify the houses a lot we try to say like Gryffindor courageous Slytherin cunning Ravenclaw knowledgeable and then Hufflepuff like caring or you know oil or whatever yeah yeah. so so we simplify it down to that but like they give a take where it's not about those specific traits necessarily it's about yeah. like what you strive for and everything. Anyway, highly recommend those videos. Well, and I like the the Slytherin one. I, they talk about in Ravenclaw one too. They they talk about like uh, actor, not actors, like characters and other sorts of media and what houses they'd be in, which mm-hmm. I always think is fun. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that stood out to me was uh, Michael Corleone as a Slytherin. Absolutely, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. That was I was like, we just covered The Godfather, so that's why it stands out to me. Yeah. And The Godfather Part Two. Now let's let's try <laughs> to sort Don Vito real quick though. It's like, is he a Slytherin? He could be, but he almost feels like something like he might be another house to me. Maybe a Gryffindor, maybe a Hufflepuff. I don't. It just yeah. I don't know, man. Maybe a Gryffindor. Um, I, a Hufflepuff. I, I, he doesn't seem like he always wants to do the right thing enough, which is like one of the That's essential true. parts of being a Hufflepuff is like always wanting to do the right thing. Probably Gryffindor. Yeah. But Gryffindor, because he kind of thinks he's right, you know, and he has like he. I feel like he's the kind of Gry- Gryffindor that is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's like the dark side to Gryffindor, maybe. Yeah. He could also be a Slytherin, too. I'd have to really think he about it. He could be. I mean, and, and they made an argument that, like, every politician is a Slytherin. So, right. Or CEOs, you know. things like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, coming back around to, to Jason Isaacs' as Lucius Malfoy, I think he did a great job. Again, sure. we're talking about over-the-top performances. It's some, there's the there's a part where he just, like, goes full-on evil bad guy at the end with the conversation with Dumbledore and Harry and Dobby and all of that. Yeah, he's very over the top, but I love it and I buy I'm it. I'm getting a, a lot of um, 
master race Aryan Nazi vibes from this guy too. Yeah, and I think it's deliberately done. So supposedly Jason Isaacs, when he was cast, he he went back and looked at Tom Felton's portrayal of Draco Malfoy, and he was like, "So I have to be like this, but." I have to be the person who made him this way. So I have to be way worse than that. So he yeah. he like his his performance was informed by an 11-year-old kid's performance from the first movie. That's cool. I mean, cuz like you can see that in the character. So yeah. I think that was well done. I mean, Rowling did write the character that way too. <laughs> I don't want to give he didn't invent Lucius Malfoy. <laughs> no, no, but I just mean that yeah. like it's interesting that he his he portrayal. was willing to have a, an 11-year-old lead his character down the path that it would go. But yeah, so it was his idea to have the cane with the wand inside of inside of it, and also his idea for the long blonde hair to differentiate himself from Mal- like Draco. Interesting. Yeah, it, yeah. I feel like it was a good choice. I mean, it's an icon- kind of an iconic character thing for that guy. The 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 wand inside the cane is like super badass. Like <laughs> yeah. I would find ways to conceal my wand in some sort of like everyday item like that. Yeah, it's like having a sword cane, right. but it's a wand cane. <laughs> <laughs> or like an umbrella, wand umbrella. Yeah. Like Hagrid. And then the other one I wanted to talk about, the other actor I wanted to talk about who is new is uh, Miriam Margoyles, who plays Professor Sprout. And she doesn't have a ton to do in this movie, but the reason I bring her up is because as soon as I saw her on screen, I knew that's exactly, that is exactly what I was envisioning a Professor Sprout would be. Okay. <laughs> and then she saves the day in the end with the mandrakes. Yeah, I mean, they and they introduced that early. The first time we meet her, they're they're doing the they're repotting mandrakes and talking about how they help with petrification curses before we've even seen anybody get petrified. So there's a couple other new ones here that we can mention. Arthur Weasley. It's the first time we see Arthur Weasley. Oh yeah, and he's great. Yeah, they they do a good job making him likable. He they, he didn't get in a fist fight with Lucius, in in the movie. Yeah, they kind of do more of like a. Kind of just more like an argument battle rather than actually like brawling, verbal sparring. Honestly, it feels more mature to yeah. me. I but I don't know. It's interesting because, like, I think there was part. T- there's something to be said for the the idea that they lose their cool and and you know literally punch each other too. I don't know, but I think it also like preserves the animosity between them and that they don't actually get into a fist fight. It's like they still have that animosity building up between them mm-hmm. instead. So uh, yeah, I think it was a smart move ultimately to not have them not have them have that kind of brawl. <laughs> yeah. So there, there'll be other actors as we go. I'll bring them up if, if I can. But there's okay. like plenty of other students at Hogwarts that are new uh, that we can touch on as we go, potentially. So I'm just kind of going to kind of give the major topics and points that happen in the story, and then I'll stop it at some point. We can just go, go over them. Uh, at the Dursleys, Harry has to be quiet during a dinner party. Dobby appears and tells Harry to not to go back to Hogwarts, and he's stopping the letters from getting to him. Dobby then drops a cake on the guests, and Harry is locked in his bedroom with bars on his window. Ron, Fred, and George come burst him out and save him in the flying car, and they take off and go to the burrow. And then we meet Arthur Weasley. They're hanging out at the burrow. We get to see what their home life is like, and then they use the flu powder to go to Diagon Alley. Harry goes too far, and he ends up in Nocturne Alley. And then we get the scene in Flourish and Blots with Lockhart where they're going to make the front page. Yeah, I, 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 one scene that stands out is Ginny and how she, uh, her eyes just like pop out of her head when she sees Harry Potter, and then she like doesn't say anything, and 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 then they're like, oh, she's been acting weird all summer, um, and like I said, like this is another moment of like the child reactions being kind of over the top and played for laughs, and and this one works for me. Like, I was gonna I like say this one. one is almost less less over the top for me and a little more true to life. Yeah. And and that's that's the fine line that's the fine line he walks with these I think yeah because I can see a young girl who's crushing doing something like that and being like a little over dramatic about it and it, I just think it works really well absolutely 
So Dobby is a an interesting character. He's a full CG character, and you know he's yeah. blended into the scene fairly well. He is. I think he would be one of the things that I look at that doesn't quite look as good as something we could do now, obviously. But it was like you know it was like sixteen years ago or something. Yeah. I mean, he could have been done like a. He, they could have done him as a puppet. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, like Dark Crystal. I, would have, I mean, I would have loved that. Don't if it, <laughs> I love yeah. that kind of Jim Henson stuff. That would have been that would have been interesting, right? Yeah. Did you see that they're they're going to do Dark Crystal on Netflix? Did I saw that? that. Yeah. Great cast too. Crazy cast. <laughs> yeah. So that made me think of it like a Dobby, a Dobby that was actually a physical prop. I don't know. I mean, he probably wouldn't have been able to you know hop around as do and do as much, but it might have been. It probably would have been more expensive. But it would have been pretty been, tough in, to do. Now that I think about all the stuff he has to do in the scene, that would have been tough with the puppet. Yeah, but I mean, like they get they do some pretty amazing stuff in, in like Dark Crystal and stuff too, though. So, yeah, for sure. I don't know, man. But like you said, and, I, I think mean, it's probably a budget thing, and ultimately, I think he looks good. And and you know, it's I love Dobby. So at first, he's super annoying, but love him ultimately. So how about the burrow in in the way that it was portrayed in the movie? Just like the set looks exactly again, exactly like I thought it would from from the book. Um, the the little touches that I love are is that like, the Weasley's house? The Weasley's house, yeah. Is that called the burrow? The burrow, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. So, yeah. The the things that I love about it are like the pan being washed that's clearly practical, like the weaving, the the knitting that the and like it's just knitting itself. Knitting um, itself, yeah. And then like like the clock hands that point to them being home, things like that. I just think all of that is just that kind of detail is what what makes a lot of this production design so good. Having dishes wash themselves is like that alone <laughs> is like makes magic incredible. Just that, yeah. just that one thing. I would just. You know, I mean, I know we have dishwashers, but it's different. <laughs> you know, it's just different. <laughs> right. They don't. Get, they don't get in there and scrub. You know, you got to still gotta do that by hand if you want it really scrubbed. Right. So in Nocturne Alley, Harry Harry grabs that hand thing, and it like pins him down in in uh, that's in the store on Nocturne oh, yeah. Alley. Which is such a weird thing to to do, and and there's a lot was of that, was that a was that an Adam's Family reference? <laughs> I don't know, maybe it could be the hand. The yeah, one, yeah. yeah, I don't remember the hand's name. Does it have a name? And is Adam's it family? it or the thing or something? Thing? Maybe thing. Man, we're clearly, I, yeah, I was like, clearly, I don't remember Adam's Family well enough. So it's not it because that'd be like Pennywise. <laughs> I think it's thing. I think the the name of the hand is thing. Thing What's... T thing is actually his full name. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, let's move on. We, we're having a lot of asides here in this one. <laughs> After the flourish and blot stuff with, with Lockhart, we get Harry and Ron trying to get on the platform, and they can't, so they have to take the flying car to Hogwarts. They cl- they crash land into the Whomping Willow and are almost expelled. Uh, then we see a couple scenes of the, the students in herbology class and de- defense against the dark arts where Lockhart lets out a bunch of Cornish pixies. Ron gets a howler from, from his mom. Which turns into a paper mouth that yeah. like has teeth and a tongue and all this stuff. It's interesting. I can't, I couldn't help that part. That was a part that I had to say. I memorized that the howler, the whole howler scene. I love. I love really? yeah, screaming it with with uh, Mrs. Weasley. Let's hear it. <laughs> Ronald Weasley, how dare you steal the car? I am absolutely disgusted. Your father is now facing an inquiry at work, and it is entirely your fault. If you put another toe out of line, we'll bring you straight home. Oh, and Ginny, dear, congratulations on making Gryffindor. Your father and I are so proud. Well done. I'm impressed. That might get cut, but for now it's there. No, dude, it's perfect. You gotta leave that in there. 
So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so the Howler, great scene. It's cool how the mouth, the, the, the letter's like a mouth, and it, it's like screaming. And uh, I love the Neville line where he's like, I ignored one for my grand once. It was awful. Like, I would love to know what happens when you ignore a Howler. And I think you do, I think we do find out later. Oh, this just reminds me, speaking of Dobby and stuff, um, I so I watched this movie with some friends, and one of them had listened to the episode, Della L, I'll, we'll call her, <laughs> um, and she pointed out that uh, you made a mistake in the, um, in the magic. Uh, I don't know if I can do it justice, but she was explaining to me that Dobby is, uses a different kind of magic than the wizards use. And that apparently that's like outlined in the later books, and that's why that's why he doesn't use a, uh, a wand. It's like a different sort of magic, and he's able to apparate in like inside Hogwarts where like other wizards can't and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't, I don't remember the, those specific details. That's cool. Uh, I, th- now that you say that, like I feel like I remember that as well. But, and then there's so many other creatures too who are using magic at some point or another. So it's like it, it's like really interesting to think of like where does this, all this magic come from. Yeah, somewhere. I don't. I don't know how much that's explored in the books. Um, you know, the nature of magic is always an interesting topic for any fantasy mm-hmm. series or world or, or or what have you. And what are its limitations? What are its rules? It's 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 a kind of a fascinating topic for someone who, you know, dabbles in fantasy. Myself, it's it's always interesting to think about, and it's something you have to design in your own stories mm-hmm. and and be aware of and be consistent with. And I liked it. I, I like. I'm really happy that that's the case because it makes so much more sense as to why they're powerful in their own right. Because it's mm. like, clearly, they don't even need to be trained up necessarily, maybe. It seems like they're just like inherently magical beings. And yeah, it's like, probably I can make stuff happen. magic, yeah. Oh, and uh, a couple other things she said while we're on the topic. Uh, she she mentioned that Dobby, Dobby's um, magically, uh, like his, his, his bondage to the, to the house is... That he serves as magical in nature, yeah, and that it for and that maybe some of that's like actually forcing him to do some of the self harm or something, or or maybe I don't know. Um, and it's also like uh, like when he can't talk about things, like it could be actually magical in nature. That I could see for him sure. Not be able to yeah. do it. Not being able to talk about stuff, we see later it being something where it's like you you're not able to talk about certain things because they're you know cursed in one way or another, and you can't specifically do it. So that makes a lot of sense. The self harming, I feel like, is is really interesting because it's like if the house is forcing him to hurt himself, that's pretty wild. Yeah, I don't know, maybe. Um, he also says at one point, I shouldn't have told you that. And, and I thought that was an interesting, uh, reveal something, something to the, to Harry. Uh, it was an interesting kind of callback to Hagrid doing that like three or four times in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I chuckled when that happened in the movie too. Or maybe, I don't know if it was, if it was meant to be a callback or if it was just, you know, hitting the same note. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. We see Malfoy as the new seeker. Uh, Ron tries to hit him with a slug spell and it backfires because he's got his broken wand. Yeah. The broken wand. It's like duct taped. <laughs> and you know what's funny is in the book, it's like, the, I think they talk about like the, ta- the spello tape or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that does sound, that sounds right actually now that you say that. I think, I think that was said, spello tape. So, and that's funny because it's like just, I mean, obviously it, they had to figure out a way to tape it, but it's just funny. That... Obviously made by the same people who make Skelligrow. <laughs> yeah. Little puns. <laughs> like similar naming con- yeah. <laughs> conventions. Yeah. <laughs> So this is the scene where Malfoy, Malfoy also calls uh, Hermione a, a mudblood. She knows the term in the movie, which is... A, I like that she knows because, it. of course, she would know. 
Yeah, I think it does make more sense, and I maybe should have pointed that out in the book. It makes more sense for her to know because she just knows so much stuff. Yeah. Um, but this also is an op- opportunity for me to say, <laughs> I think Hermione's my favorite Harry Potter's character. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with that. Yeah, but I was thinking about it, and I think it comes down to like her and Snape for me. What about right, Dumbledore? That's probably my top two. You don't like Dumbledore? Honestly, not more than those two characters. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's like... um. I know Hermione's always way up there in popularity. Um, Harry Potter is obviously way up there for people. Yeah. Um, I like him all right. <laughs> right. Uh, Dumbledore's always up there. I think, honestly, though, like Hermione, like, usually wins out as far as really? people's, in, in, like, people's favorite characters. I think so, at least from, from what I understand. Um, right. I'm sure there are people who would say Harry, but I think Hermione's probably, she's the most interesting character. She is, like, she's, like, yeah. The, she's a muggle-born. She's a she's brilliant. She can do anything, and yet she has like flaws. She has things that upset her throughout, and like it's like I feel like it's like a really good depiction of a young girl growing up in this environment, like a magical environment, yeah. and just happen happening to be like the most interesting character. Well, and she's also got this weird thing where it's like she should be the one who's the chosen one. Really, if you think about it, you know, um, she's the more capable. I feel like it would go yeah. a lot smoother if she was. Yeah, and instead she's kind of second fiddle to Harry in a lot of ways, um, you know, maybe undeservedly so, and and it's, it's it puts her in an interesting role in this story, and um, I'm excited to to read through these books and 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 get because I I do love the more detail we get and stuff, and and, and the more that I can get, you know, in Hermione's head, I think it'd be cooler. So, um, and and also just like tracking her journey through these movies, I want to I want to do that more closely mm-hmm. than than maybe I did in the past. So. Um, and it's amazing to me rewatching these, just how much of these films I don't remember. Right. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah. I just thought of a couple other major characters who people love. Neville, for one. Oh, and, yeah. And so, Malfoy. A lot of people really oh, like Malfoy. Well, is they like Malfoy or do they find the actor attractive? <laughs> a little of both. But I think, that, I think that they like him. I think they like him as a character, ultimately. I don't think you like him in these early movies, though. Not necessarily, yeah. Yeah, he's 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 a little shit in these movies. Yeah, and he kind of is throughout. <laughs> um, but uh, I was gonna say uh, Sirius Black seems to be very popular. Yeah, Sirius. Honestly, and on that note, Lupin as well. I love Lupin. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that's something we can kind of keep keep track of as we go. I want to see if that stays true for me. If I still if I still think feel that way. Yeah, I think you're right to say Sirius. By the way, I th- I would say Sirius probably makes my top three. Yeah, I love Sirius. I feel like he must do more in the books because I felt like I liked him and I like Gary Oldman, um, but I, I he didn't really do a lot in the movies in my in, in my memory of it. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm also misremembering. I don't know. Um, and he he appears in the next film, right? Yep. Yeah. So I'm excited to watch this next one. You know, at some point uh, in 2019, I'm sure we'll get to it. Yeah, I cannot wait. I honestly, this is it's harder to not watch three than it was to not watch two after we watched mm-hmm. one because this one is a big one for me. I can see that. So around this time, Harry finds Filch's cat with the writing on the wall. McGonagall in class at some point tells the students about the Chamber of Secrets and and our three main characters suspect Malfoy. There's a Quidditch match. And I think we should stop here to talk about the Quidditch match because I think that it's improved on the first one by so much in this one. Much more interesting stuff is going on. The Bludger is more interesting than the Jinx Broom. Um, I think it's just got a lot more going on. And then the way that we get that nasty scene at the end where Lockhart like removes all his bones and all of that makes it really interesting 
and, it, and the, the effects look better. Yeah, it was. Good. I like the way the hand flopped around in the movie. It was pretty. It was pretty. It was pretty good effect. Yeah, uh, it was well done. And that arm makes a really squishy sound when it moves. <laughs> yeah, it's super nasty. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. I just I think throughout Harry Potter, I've always kind of found um, Quidditch to be kind of boring to watch. Maybe that's controversial to say, but. I feel like I kind of check out in some of those scenes. I will say that, like, I think Quidditch starts to play a backseat in some of the other movies, for sure. Like, you don't see yeah. quite as much of the Quidditch games and stuff. You'll see broom-related activities. Um, right. And there's definitely a couple that are good Quidditch scenes coming up that I think are even better than this one. But I just think it, it's right. definitely an improvement. Dobby shows up in the hospital wing, and Colin, Colin Creevy is, has been petrified. Then after that, the dueling class happens with Snape and Lockhart. Harry speaks parcel tongue to the to the snake that's trying to attack. Soon after this, Harry finds nearly headless Nick and and Finch Fletchley, uh, with spiders crawling around them, and goes to Dumbledore's office. So the duel. I mean, I, I think the duel is one of my favorite scenes from this movie. We talked yeah. about it a lot in the book, but it's it's like seeing it in action and seeing uh, you know Harry go flying and then Draco go flying and Gilderoy getting getting his comeuppance a little bit. Oh, man. And when he, he throws his cape into the crowd and then he's like, my assistant, Snape. And like the way he's flourishing and, you know, just like uh, vamping for in front of the audience, you know. Um, it's so, And then you see Snape just like coolly, quietly step up there and you just know like, oh, shit, he's about to get fucked up. Right yeah. <laughs> um, and I did think it was interesting that it seems to me like Gold, uh, Lockhart doesn't even cast anything. No, he just takes, yeah, he just takes it. I don't think he's good at genuinely anything except memory charms. Like, I feel like he's yeah. probably all right at some stuff, but. I thought he was going to cast something and it was just going to be weak and get kind of overpowered by Snape. But weirdly, he just doesn't seem to do anything. He just stands there. Like, what did he think was going to happen? <laughs> you know, like, he, did he think Snape was going to take it easy on him, maybe? I, I don't know. Maybe. I find it interesting uh, that, because he goes flying, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I find Flipping it interesting head to head. see the evolution of Expelliarmus throughout oh, yeah. the movies because in this, it's like it is it. It's like it must be affected by how powerful the spell you want to use is or something, and you must be able to gauge that because like you sometimes you'll just be like Expelliarmus and somebody's it'll like their wand will like lightly flick out of their hand or something, mm-hmm. and then in this it's like a full on like you're going flying blast them across the room. Yeah. Maybe it's like something to do with your intention behind it too. Like you can maybe will it to be a more powerful casting. I'm sure that there's some detail in the book that I'm not remembering right now that explains like some of that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. it's interesting that Expelliarmus sends somebody flying in this in this instance. I wanted, you know what I did want of this dueling scene? What's that? I wanted I wanted round two between them. Lockhart and, I wanted, and I, I, Yeah, I wanted Lockhart to, to, to try some other method in which he thought he was going to be able to get the better of him and then him get his ass kicked again. I don't know. I just wanted more of it. You know what I just thought about? He does use a spell. He uses it on the snake. He, like, he like just sends the snake flying into the air, which does nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and oh, I also, uh, I don't think Snape tells Malfoy. I mean, I, don't, I guess I don't know for sure that he did in the book. But we got the impression that he did in the book, right? Because we see him, like, whisper something to I'm him. pretty sure it's, like, it's still implied here. I, I didn't think so. I thought I thought that was just something Malfoy did on his own, and then and then Snape has to take care of the snake. But it didn't feel like it was orchestrated by Snape in the movie to me. Gotcha. Maybe I'm just mis- I mean, maybe I'm misremembering or something. But I, I just that was something I wrote down because I was like, it didn't feel to me like Snape orchestrated this, and he was kind of surprised about the snake, and he was surprised that Harry Potter was able to talk to it, mm-hmm. and all of the above happened. You know. Well, I feel like to to me, it's always there's always like there's this one reaction shot from from Draco 
where he basically like after he gets picked up, he like looks over at Snape or like smiles at him or does something, which kind of always hinted to me that like, okay, I'll do what you say. Yeah, it could also be that he just wants to impress him, right? Because he probably looks up to Snape as the head of... Is yeah. he the head of Slytherin House? Yeah. Yeah, it's not It's not as, you know, it's not actually there. The details are kind of murky, but in the book he does uh, tell him to use that spell, I think. He definitely whispers something to him, and right. I think that's a strong implication, yeah. Uh, so going up to Dumbledore's, I just had to note, uh, I think the password is Sherbert Lemon <laughs> to go up into his, uh, his study or whatever. <laughs> Dumbledore's an eccentric guy. <laughs> <laughs> he loves he loves that kind of stuff. I know he likes yeah. he really likes lemon drops or something like that. He likes like lemon flavored things. Uh huh. Yeah. And he they, he meets the phoenix for the first time. And uh, this made me think of another project we covered. I want to see if you can pick it out. So when he first meets the phoenix and it and it burns, mm-hmm. and then they all gather around as it's like the baby's coming out of the ashes. Can you identify what scene that would make me think of? The uh, the the egg scene from Jurassic Park. Yes, the egg scene for Jurassic Park and the baby raptor. I, I honestly felt like it was like almost like an homage to that scene or something because it was it, it felt very much like the raptor coming out of the egg. Well, I mean, I feel like it was very similar uh, practical puppetry too because the, yeah. the phoenix like comes up out of the ashes in the same kind of way that the raptor breaks through the egg and peeks out and moves around and stuff. Just great. I loved I love the fox. I love all that stuff that happens there. They're brewing the polyjuice potion and they they finish it and drink it. Go to go to the Slytherin common room and talk to Draco about it. And soon after they find the diary, Harry goes into the past in the diary, learns all like sees Tom Riddle's memories or what Tom Riddle wants him to see. The Quidditch match gets canceled and, and McGonagall brings Ron and Harry to Hermione, who's been petrified with a mirror in her hand. So I just wanted to, to mention that when we first see this happen, Crab and Goyle come out and they see two floating cupcakes in the middle of a hallway and nobody around, and their reaction is, oh, cool, let's eat these. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Malfoy doesn't even know if one of them can read, so. Yeah, I mean, I get that they're dumb. I just, um, to me, that that's another, like, uh, it's almost like as inexplicable as some of the things that the wet wet bandits get up to in the Home Alone series. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, it's it's like, I guess, putting myself in the shoes of somebody like that, I would just say that maybe they were like, oh, it's Hogwarts, it's magic, there's magic everywhere, whatever, there's flying, f- floating cupcakes out here might as well eat them yeah i suppose so hermione's petrified and they she is found with the mirror and ron and harry don't really understand it at this point they go to hagrid's and uh that this is when dumbledore and cornelius fudge show up then lucius shows up and and dumbledore and hagrid are taken away and i love where they're like just outwardly saying a bunch of stuff and dumbledore is like like winking at them and seeing that they're underneath the cloak in Hagrid's hut and he's like if anybody needs any help it'll always come to those who ask for it at Hogwarts and all that stuff and then Hagrid he leaves and then Hagrid's version of that is if anybody was looking for anything they could uh just follow the spiders and and Fudge is like what is happening and then he's like and somebody (laughs) needs to feed Fang well I'm gone yeah just wanted to say that (laughs) I like that scene a lot. I feel like that scene works really well. It's it's because it's like such a such a low moment. And what, what what's up with a no due process for Hagrid? It's just like suspicion. You're going to prison. Oh yeah, I think it's like there's a little bit of uh, we see later in the books, and I think I, this is what I've always drawn from is there's a little bit of like also like he's like a half giant, so maybe there's a little racism in there mixed with the fact that he had already been kind of caught before and expelled and yeah, just been just haul him off to pr- haul him off to prison, you know, lunar, unilaterally, no no trial, nothing, <laughs> no evidence really, just like out of suspicion alone. 
<laughs> it's pretty wild for sure. Uh, the I've always assumed that also that that because Hagrid was always, he was kind of on a last strike situation because he had been expelled and caught, and he was only he's only groundskeeper because Dumbledore allowed him to be and stay there and take care of the grounds and everything. So he's there on like you know, and then if the attacks start start back up and everybody thinks it's him and the spite and Aragog, then that's that's like enough of a reason I guess to get him taken away. And you know, D- Dumbledore says like he has my full confidence, like it's not him. But they're not listening to Dumbledore at this point. So follow the spiders. We follow the spiders in <laughs> to the Forbidden Forest. And some things that I thought about on this viewing are: uh, Do you think that spirit Quirrell Voldemort? from the first one roaming through the forbidden forest ever happened across this area this hollow area where the spiders are at do you think he knew they were there just kind of like weird things that i was thinking about like yeah i don't know it's kind of interesting to think that maybe spirit voldemort was hanging out with unicorns and centaurs and also giant spiders out there somewhere sure i mean i think he would have probably probably enjoyed it (laughs) yeah like in the book we get this the spiders attack at the end of it because for whatever reason, they just have to attack. He can't stop his kids, his sons and daughters, from attacking fresh meat that walk into their into yeah, their meadow. Pretty brutal. Or the hollow. Tom Riddle first shows Harry the past. Mm-hmm. We get um, a young-ish um, Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, from fifty years ago, and I was thinking about it on the timeline uh, with with Fantastic Beasts. Um, what year is Fantastic Beasts supposed to be ha- taking place in? I, I don't know exactly. 30-something, 30, 30 right before World War II. Well, you're okay, saying yeah, Fantastic so Beasts 2 is right before World War II, yeah. Right before World War II. Yeah. So he looks like Jude Law and, and right then, and then maybe t- 15, 20 years later is when this would be taking place. Yeah. He looks like full-on old Dumbledore. I've seen a lot of Harry um, Potter fans talk about this online and stuff, just like basically saying, like, why did he stop wearing three-piece suits and start wearing, like, magical wizard robes in 15 one years? One of the funniest responses to that, did you see this one, was um, was somebody like somebody responded in their, like, tenure. <laughs> oh, tenure, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> I feel like I may have seen that. That's so funny, though. I love it. <laughs> yeah, just, I like that. I like that. It's time to put the robes on. <laughs> he got tenure and, just... and he started wearing flashy robes and grew his beard out long. <laughs> yeah. There you go, man. Um, we also get Hagrid, who it's interesting. Young Hagrid is shot like all in darkness and he sounds the same. But I don't know. It was interesting. They didn't try and like really cast a young Hagrid. Maybe they just couldn't get somebody who, who looked convincing enough. I think uh, from what I understand, it was his the body double for Robbie Col- Coltrane is it plays a young Hagrid. Oh, so it's just the body double who's normally in there to like kind of for a size double to figure out how big Hagrid should be. They just right. took him and put him in the scene and like didn't show his face basically and had had the actual Hagrid voice. So Harry and Ron escape the spiders. They go back to Hermione where Hermione's petrified in the hospital wing and they find a paper with basically all the answers in it in cla- clasped in her other hand. Um, and soon after that, they hear that Ginny's been taken to the Chamber of Secrets by the teachers they're all kind of congregating and then so Lockhart's going to go try to go get down there they go after Lockhart and he's you know trying to run they stop him and force him to go into the chamber with him so they go to the they go to the girl's bathroom to talk to Myrtle because they know that that's who'd been killed and she kind of says that area is where I saw the eyes when I was killed which leads them to the sink where where the chamber of secrets is so a couple things here. Before we get too far past the spiders, I did remember something um, some of my friends pointed out again. or asked. They asked a question, um, and I wanted to ask it of you and see what you think. When Aragog says he came 
he came over in the pocket of a stranger mm-hmm. or something like that. Do we think that that could be Newt Scamander? You know, I saw. I think I saw something online about this as well. I I, I think it's a cool headcanon. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, he. We know that he likes these like weird creatures and stuff, right? So I could totally see that. Yeah, I would have to. Kinda, I don't know. I would have to try to figure out where they're at in the timeline. The problem is the stuff with Fantastic Beasts is getting a little. It's getting a little like it's muddying up the timeline a little bit. So we're trying mm-hmm. to figure. I don't know. I think at some point we'll know exactly what J.K. intended for every single thing. But for now, it's kind of up in the air for some, some stuff. But yeah, I mean, I like that. Why not have Newt Scamander be the one who brought Aragog to Hagrid? Yeah, that could be interesting, right? And then so the other thing is the Basilisk. Um, we haven't quite seen it yet, but as soon as we do, <laughs> um, they also like when they first go down and they see the snake skin. Uh, I think Harry says something about it being sixty feet long, hmm. which is three times the length of the twenty foot long Basilisk that we had in the book. Yeah. <laughs> And then when we see it, that thing has the head the size of a Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that fitting in any pipe? What pipe is there in Hogwarts that could fit that size of creature? <laughs> Magic pipes. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was funny because it was like clearly they wanted it to be big and scary, but it didn't really work with the premise of this thing's creeping around through the pipes because I'm like, no pipe going up to the bathroom is 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 the size of a Volkswagen. You know how much sewage and. Uh- castle creates a castle full of people <laughs> creates. <laughs> yeah no but i mean i will say that the the entrance where they jump in that could just be the area that it slithers up and comes out right there but then that doesn't necessarily I mean, it's so big it would fill up an entire hallway yeah you know like that thing is in it's it's 60 feet long like that thing's not sneaking around hogwarts yeah we just have to assume the pipes are massive and then we're good. Yeah, I guess. We do yeah. see like the underground pipes that it's slithering through when harry's like trying to run away from it during the battle yeah, it's more like a sewer. Yeah. <laughs> they force Lockhart to go down with them. And mm-hmm. after all the stuff you were talking about with the snake skin, he eventually grabs Ron's wand and obliviates himself by accident. Uh, yeah. Great moment. I love that. And then an earthquake kind of ensues from that. Rocks fall, separating them. And Harry goes on alone. And he finds Ginny in the Chamber of Secrets. And he throws his wand down as soon as he gets to her for some reason. And uh, Tom Riddle <laughs> shows up and picks up the wand. And he's like, give me my wand. And I'm like, why did you throw it on the ground if you wanted it? <laughs> uh, Tom Riddle. Yeah, so Tom Riddle comes out and he proceeds to literally and figuratively spell everything out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally spells his name out uh, to show him that I am Lord Voldemort anagram. And then um, he he spends like five minutes explaining his plan. Mm-hmm. And and it just like it just highlighted that trope, you know, like that that the 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 villain outlining. Well, this is why I did it, and this is why I did this, and this. You know, let me explain everything to you. Um, I think it's another weakness of this scene, honestly. Um, and it's not it's not unforgivable in a children's movie, you know, because it kind of explains everything necessarily that you need to do. Um, but again, it's just one of those. I think every time something like this happened for me, it kind of notched it down a little bit. And that was my one problem there. And also just makes me, I want to call, I want to call Lord Voldemort. I just want to call him Tommy from now on. Tommy. Just call him Tommy. Tommy Riddle. Because because his name's just Tom. Yeah. Like, if you want to like take his power away, everyone's like, oh, don't, don't say his name. He should just call him Tom. Are you talking about Tom? Oh yeah, Tom. <laughs> you know what everyone's scared about? You talking about Tom? Yeah, he's a crazy dude. <laughs> yeah, that guy's wild. <laughs> <laughs> he made up a name for himself and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Shout out to our friend Tom, by the way. (laughs) I would point to the first movie as kind of being the same thing, though, where he just kind of says, like, 
the Snape was trying to stop me and all oh, of sure. like the no, whole plan right. gets unfurled. He definitely, he, Quirrell does the same damn thing in the first yeah. movie. So Absolutely. It's, and, and so. At least we get a battle here at the end where it's, which is yeah. kind of more than I think was in the, even in the book. I know Harry fights the Basilisk, but this is an extended sequence. Well, action scenes tend to play better. Like they tend to have a little bit more to them in a, in a movie because you just like, sometimes you can't really draw out the action if, if it's not really, really compellingly written. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll just get. It'll actually become a little bit boring at times. Yeah. So I yeah I just I like the uh, the way that the filmmakers use the shadow to show us because us as seeing through Harry's point of view we see the the fox. yeah Harry Harry is smarter about the basilisk in this one than he is in the book I feel mm-hmm. like although still you he still didn't know one hundred percent that the snake's eyes had both been had the basilisk eyes had both been knocked out by fox. Could have just been an yeah. attempt in the shadow. He figured it. He was like, "All right, I guess we're good." Um, yeah. Cr- some couple of things to talk about here. Basilisk is fairly similar to a snake, right? It looks kind of like an eel to me, honestly. Yeah. He looks like a more like a moray eel or something. Yeah, I agree with that. Like it's like a dragon. It looks like a dragon a little bit. The thing yeah. about this that I find interesting though is Tom Riddle's like. He's like, you may have taken out the basilisk eyes, but it can still hear you. And snakes are not known for hearing. They're known for smelling. Okay. And so they use their tongue to smell things. So maybe sure. maybe the basilisk doesn't ha- have that, but it just seems like a more snake-like quality. I have I don't really know t- like a ton about snakes' hearing abilities, but I feel like they're probably hmm. not great if they even have any. I just noticed. I just know I like to stay away from them. Yeah. So, I know. <laughs> so I guess the the reason that all that happens though is once they're right, once Harry's in the pipes, he's able to grab a rock and throw it to divert its attention away. Because if it could smell. As well as another, you know, snakes could. Then Harry would have been dead no matter what, because yeah. taking out its eyes was so much more effective when it couldn't smell. I guess. And I will say that it has like nostrils, so maybe it doesn't smell with its tongue. Maybe it does smell more like a dragon or something. But yeah. just an interesting thing to make it a snake and not give it all snake-like qualities. And a basilisk isn't exactly a snake, so I guess there can be differences. So there's also a convenient like. I think cave-in happens to separate Ron from Harry. Well, yeah, get Lockhart obliviating himself serves as also yeah. starting the, the earthquake. Yeah, so it's just interesting how they always do this, right? Um, at least in these first two movies. Like, Harry has to be alone when he fa- when he goes into the final battle, right? Because we can't... It's weird. It's like they don't want like any credit to go to like Ron or Hermione or anybody. It has to be just Harry at the end. Yeah. I don't know how I don't know. It's weird. It, it it makes it makes that scene. It definitely highlights like Harry is the important one, mm-hmm. you know. Um, which I get. I guess I get why you're doing that, but he's like the surrogate for the know. audience. So it's the audience. We're alone now. There's more stakes with it only being him, I guess. But I also see what you're saying about it being like, well, Harry's the only important one then, and he's doing yeah. it all on his own. Ultimately, and it felt it, to me, it felt kind of contrived too. Like they're just gonna come up with a reason to keep Ron out of the right, out of the end there. Um, we talked in the last episode about Hermione being sidelined for the majority of the end of this this story here, and how you know that was it. That was an interesting decision too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess this, this story is all about Harry, so I guess that's why they do it. Um, it's interesting though because it's such an ensemble cast and it's got such memorable characters. Um, why not have all of them be there at the end? I think they do justice by their by the the supporting cast i think that like their their characters are really well realized and i think that they work really well but yeah like you say ultimately i think it's just a story that she that that jk wanted to tell is just about 
Harry Potter and and like mm-hmm. maybe there are you know I like to th- I like to think of a world where we got other people at Hogwarts viewpoints when they were just doing normal things and going to class and then Harry's like off doing ridiculous shit and they're like why can't yeah. he just be normal why can't he just do normal stuff <laughs> so eventually during this battle Harry pulls the sword of Gryffindor out of the sorting hat and he uses that to fight the basilisk and and ultimately stabbing it through the head and getting pierced in the arm by a fang and then and then he gets down there to where Ginny's at after the after the basilisk is dead and and he's like trying to save her basically trying to figure out what what he can do and then he uses the fang to pierce the diary killing Tom Riddle then she wakes up and she's doing a lot better and then Fox Fox cries tears onto his wound healing him yeah from this this imminent death that he had coming and then they which all... I liked better than when when <laughs> Fox literally flies out with them dangling from his legs like multiple people <laughs> the legs and then they they go to Dumbledore's office but I want to stop here like really that quick. felt unnecessary for me they could have just climbed out <laughs> they could have climbed out and this also brings up a weird thing that I've thought about for a long time there's like this gap in the ground this like fissure that you can look up and see Hogwarts castle from so does, you could just jump on a broomstick and fly down this fissure and stumble upon the Chamber of Secrets. Huh. You might not be able to open all of the gates. Maybe they probably sealed it after this, I would imagine. Well, I just mean that I just mean that before this, before Harry before, this, before right. it had been reopened, somebody could have at least found the entrance to it. Yeah. Whether or not Maybe they could open it. There's lots of like little caves and stuff around around the area that people don't go in, I don't know. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that it's not even necessarily sealed. It's like it's yeah. like an open. It's not really that well hidden. <laughs> but, and then so they go to Dumbledore's office and Ron goes to send an owl to save Hagrid from Azkaban. And, and Hag- Dumbledore talks to Harry about, you know, what it means to be a Gryffindor and why he actually is a Gryffindor and what makes him a Gryffindor. And then Lucius Malfoy shows up and kind of just for whatever reason just to be like oh you're back are you kind of thing yeah and then yeah. there was really not a huge yeah. reason for him to be there Dumbledore's back like what are you <laughs> yeah. going to do and then uh we get some of the Dobby's with him the line so there's a line where he's like let's always let us hope that Harry Potter will always be here to save the day and then Harry's like don't worry I will be apparently that was like Daniel Radcliffe ad-libbed that line they like on the day like figured out what he was going to say and he just said that and nice. uh Jason, Jason Isaacs was like blown away by the fact that this like twelve year old kid had the had like because he delivered it like pretty pretty hardcore. Uh-huh. Um, it's a little cheesy, but I love it. I, I like. No, I, 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 like say, it. I like that. I will. Uh, I will say, uh, Harry Potter totally calls out Dobby in front of Lucius. Yeah, he gives away the whole game. If he hadn't saved him here, it would have been like he would have been tortured. He would have been tortured over this, and you just fucking like called him out. Yeah. It was pretty. It was pretty low blow, honestly, because I, I was. I'm like, really? You're just gonna. You're just gonna call him out right in front of this guy. Yeah, but luckily, he, yeah. Then Lucius just turns to him. He's like, "I'll deal with you later." And we're like, "Oh God, what is that?" That was gonna be really bad. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. And then Harry slips the sock into the diary and hands it back to Lucius. And then we get the uh, Dobby yeah. standing up. He doesn't toss it in, in the movie. He hands it. Right. I think he hands it to Dobby. Yep. So. I guess it makes a little more sense. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then and then he tries. So this is another thing that I like to think about. He was about to use a vaticadabra. Like you can hear, you can hear Lucius like beginning to say a vaticadabra. And that's the kill spell, right? right? So he was going to kill Harry Potter in front of Dumbledore's office. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Right. It seems pretty extreme. Uh, I don't think that that's from the book. I think that that was like a movie only thing. Yeah. 
So. That would have been that would have been a, a bold move on his part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You want to go to Azkaban? He's going to murder a child, even if, even if it's not Harry Potter. I'm just going to murder a child in Hogwarts right in front of the headmaster's yeah. office. I've always thought about this as well. If you can if you can put some sort of spell or you can put some sort of, some sort of powers over Hogwarts so that people can't operate in, can't you just make a spell so that nobody can use a killing curse inside Hogwarts too? It feels to me like kids might experiment with the killing curse and kill each other. Yeah, you have to be pretty careful with that curse. Yeah. <laughs> so Dobby Dobby stands up to Lucius and and like sends him flying and he's like goes like I said before, he goes full full villain and he's like you will pay for this. Your parents were meddling too and you're going to meet the same sticky end. And then we get uh and we get the final scene where all all uh is that the final scene? Yeah. Where like all all uh, exams are canceled. Oh God, that, I want to talk about that for sure. Yeah, it's the scene where and Hermione Hermione is unpetrified and she runs up. And I love this scene actually, where they're running up and hugging each other. And I have a lot of nostalgia. I think this is a scene that I've that I sometimes correlate. Like sometimes I feel like this scene happened in the first one, but it clearly yeah. didn't. It, but for some yeah. reason, like it's a very nostalgic scene for me. Like it feels like a like a classic Harry Potter moment when everybody's and then Hagrid shows up and everybody's clapping for him and everybody's so happy. Like, yeah, there's like this rousing round of applause. Yeah, it feels like a very uh, like classic Harry Potter moment. Uh, but yeah, to talk about what you were just talking about, <laughs> Dumbledore's like in light of recent events, exams are canceled. I turned to Caitlin and I was like, they have to remember this as the year that they made sure that all of their students were just super dumb. Like you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna make them not take their their exams so that they don't know what they're doing. In the future, like you're, you're, it's 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 not like you're helping these kids. Yeah, man. It, I, I mean, I wonder if I mean, I, I assume stuff like that might actually happen on occasion at schools where something crazy happens. They maybe they do do this, but yeah, it feels like a bold decision because every you know a, anybody who was like at risk of failing the class, you know, like they were going to totally fail that exam, are just like, all right, I'm good now. Yeah, <laughs> let them all through. I love that Hermione's like upset about it. She's like, sure. shoot. Yeah, she would be. <laughs> She's like, damn it, I studied all it. I mean, it would be too. I fucking studied all this time. I was going to nail that Well, test. she was petrified. Well, I mean, she, I'm sure she still found time to study somewhere. She was studying in her <laughs> in her, in her mind, uh, what is it called in, in Sherlock? The mind, mind palace. Mind palace, yeah. She was in her mind palace yeah. studying. Uh, so we did get two bits of feedback from one of our listeners, uh, Chris C., that I wanted to mention. Um, there was one that I, you know, uh, I loved, and then and another one that uh, I don't know. So one of them, he was saying that he thought we were a little harsh on um, on J.K. for sidelining Hermione, um, and he even said like he listened to the rest of the episode after saying it and was like, oh, okay, so you did kind of explain it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think highlighting the fact that Hermione got got sidelined, he took a little bit of umbrage with. Um, do you do you want to weigh in on that? Do you do you feel like in the movie did it play better? Did it play differently? I think it was similar. I think it was the same. I, I think ultimately, like we talked about, it's unfortunate that it had to be Hermione and, and it felt a little bit like fridging, but I, I think it works for the story. She's the she's the most intelligent. She was she clearly in within the context of the story, she figured it out way before Harry and Ron did. I think it works for the story still. I, I, I like it. Yeah, and I agree. Um, ultimately, I think I, I do come back come back around to it. I think it's just um it was an opportunity to talk about a trope that I see a lot. Um, because this does sort of fit that mold, that that fridging trope, and I think it is important to po- to point these things out, right? Even even in things we love, yeah. Um, you know, because often that can be the hardest that can be the hardest thing to look at with a critical eye in that way. Yeah. Um, and also like we're not the sort we're you know two straight white guys, so um, I always want to try and put myself in other perspectives and imagine what somebody else might feel. And obviously, 
just from our experiences, we're probably not going to be as affected by the sidelining of Hermione as uh, a woman might be who who that's her favorite character and is like, what the hell, when she just kind of isn't in the last part of the book, right? Right. Um, now, I already said Hermione's my favorite character too, but but you know what I mean, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I still feel like I want to point out stuff like that. It was an authentic thought I had covering that book. Right. Um, and so so I'm going to I'm gonna put those out there. Um, yeah, I don't expect everybody to agree. And, and ultimately, I, I, I can see both sides of it. And, and I come down in, on the idea of like, yeah, JK did an all right job with it. Um, but the other thing he said that I actually really liked was he was reacting to us uh, sorting Trump and, we, and like trying to sort Trump. And he said that he thought Trump would be more of a squib, which I love <laughs> <laughs> um, because squibs are, are magic lists. They're muggles essentially born into wizarding families, mm-hmm. um, which just I love the idea of that because, you know, you got Trump born and in, born into money and, and he doesn't actually have any of the business acumen that his father had. And he's just lucky and, uh, you know, runs his businesses into the ground in some ways, but is held up by his privilege. Um yeah, I love it. Yeah, I totally. I agree with that. That's. I mean, that's such a funny take too, because I didn't even want to sort him. So, uh, squibs are squibs not sorted into houses? Do you have to be an actual? I guess you would be. You actually have to. I don't magic, think squibs right? get letters to Hogwarts. Yeah, I don't think they get letters usually. Oh, dude. Yeah, I love that. Trump doesn't get a letter to Hogwarts. No way. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I thought that was funny, so I had to shout him out for for that, which I I definitely enjoyed. But yeah, um, speaking of that, if you wanted to send us feedback, you can also he just messaged us that on on like Twitter and stuff. But you can send emails to uh, inktofilm at gmail dot com, uh, and and we'll we'll definitely react to him. So we were just talking about him, Chris. He he sent us some messages, uh, some feedback. We wanted to thank him because he's also a patron for the podcast. We really appreciate your support. And also, if anybody else would like to support the podcast financially, you can go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Yeah, we got lots of bonus content on there. I know we're going to be recording another bonus episode here soon. Um, So we're offering some stuff to you just for, you know, I think the you get all the bonus content for two dollars. So definitely take a look at that. also, if you wanted to support us in a way that doesn't cost any money at all, rating and a review on whatever platform you're using, always super helpful, helps us get the word out. So that would be awesome. So we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All of those are at ink to film If you'd like to join our Council of Inklings on Facebook, that'd be awesome. We uh, put polls in there, uh, post things about upcoming potential projects, things that are being adapted. So check that out. Yeah, and we also wanted to thank Goblins from Mars for their use of our intro and outro music, which I still find awesome. <laughs> it's going to be much more fitting when we get to the next movie, but I, I love it. It's so good. All right, so I I guess that's it. I, we really hope you come back next week when we do our Last Looks episode. It's going to be a fun one, I think. Uh, we look back at the year of 2018 and the 50 episodes we did and... It should be a lot of fun, and we, we hope you come along for it. Yeah, and make sure to send in questions or, or any feedback or anything that you had from throughout the year. Yeah, topics, topic suggestions, if there's anything in particular you'd like to hear us talk about, um, any last-minute feedback on any of the things we, we covered, like this is your last opportunity to get it to us where we can still talk about it on, the episode, on an episode. So make sure to do that. All right, and until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.